0: back with another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky, Culture Editor here at the Federalist. As always, you can email the show at radio at federalist.com. Follow us on Twitter at FDRLST. Make sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts as well. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Senior Editor at the Federalist, also from Right Forge, Christopher Bedford, and by Daniel Turner of Power the Future. Welcome to both of you. (laughs) (laughs) Nice oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really Daniel who owes really? us a debt Surely. of gratitude <laughs> now you may have seen Daniel um in the cooking videos, one of the many cooking videos uh that Chris publishes uh with Daniel on the Federalist YouTube channel and social media channels um which are Weirdly, surprisingly popular, I have to say.
1: An Italian teaching an Irishman to cook is an interesting subject.
0: <laughs> um, so I, I saw, actually, and I didn't realize this was going to coincide with Joe Biden, the, the one-year anniversary of Joe Biden's time in office, um, his inaugural anniversary. Daniel... I actually thought of you as soon as I saw this, that basically the renewables situation in New England was, there was a situation brewing there that felt a little bit perhaps like what Texas experienced um, just a year ago, if folks remember that awful snowstorm. Um, And and Daniel will have an op-ed on this coming out in The Federalist soon, um, looking back at one year of Biden's energy policies in light of the winter and, and what certain communities are experiencing. So Daniel, as you look back, um, on a year of Biden's energy policies, what are you seeing?
2: Yeah, I, you know, there are they're, they're cumulative, uh, uh, we're, feeling, we're feeling the result of cumulative actions. And that is why gas prices are so high. That is why home heating and utility prices are so high. Uh, That is why inflation is rampant, because everything needs energy. And so I hear all the time with people, you know, the the social media battles, which are ongoing. Uh, The president doesn't set gas prices or Keystone had nothing to do with oil prices and and maybe taken as individual actions. There's some truth to that. But cumulatively, when you add on all of these actions from the very first day he was inaugurated a year ago today, Up until now, this is the consequence. Probably the biggest result of of the Biden agenda when it comes to the energy space is that close to 30% of the investment has dropped off. Um, Energy is a very capital and labor-intensive industry, right? It doesn't come online instantaneously. It requires a lot of money and it requires a lot of manpower. Um, Who would invest in, in this industry when you look at Biden, uh, uh, Deb Holland, the Secretary of Interior, Jennifer Granholm, Secretary of Energy, right? So if, if 25 to 30 percent of the investment has dried up, people are just running away from this space, and and that's why and, and that is proven by the fact that we are experiencing these terribly high oil, gas, uh, consumer good prices. This is the result of a year of bad decisions.
1: How much of this is a, is a supply chain crisis? I mean, I know there's a lot of specific decisions that are going into this, whether it's uh, something that you talk about in a piece you've got coming out with, with the Federalists, whether it's getting energy from Russia over Pennsylvania, like decision that was made in Massachusetts. Uh, yeah, we're bringing in our energy from abroad when just a year ago we were a country that was energy independent, didn't need to do that. We're insisting on doing that somehow to appease some kind of global warming God that doesn't really seem to make sense at all. Is the supply chain crisis a part of that? Or is it more just the decision that we've made uh, in a lot of our blue states to import energy so we don't feel bad and don't get our hands dirty? Yeah, I feel like supply
2: chain has become the uh, catch-all explanation for all all bad things that exist right now. So uh, supply chain, uh, COVID, uh, climate change, right? These are generalities that are used to explain absolutely everything. I I, I privately sent... uh, uh, Mr. Bedford, uh, on social media, someone was blaming the, the, the Tonga volcano eruptions on <laughs> climate change. Uh, an ABC uh, News correspondent. <laughs> so climate change supply, supply chain is the catch-all for all bad things. If you look at the energy supply chain from the capital and labor investments that I mentioned to actually drilling the well, to pulling this crude out of the oil, to bringing it to a place to refine it, to those refineries, we have a huge truck driver problem. Why? Well, because of Biden mandates that have told men and women who sit by themselves in the cab of a truck for hours and hours a day are a threat to the society. So we have a huge truck driving problem. Yes, truckers drive groceries, but they also drive fuel tankers. And so fuel tankers aren't getting from destination A to B because of truck driver shortages. So supply chain, yes, if you want to say the aggregate of all of these bad decisions, blame it on the supply chain Sure. I'll, I'll give
1: supply chain some. But the thing is, like to your point, the supply chain is the crisis that we're having right now is caused by humans. I mean, the trucking crisis, yeah. there's not a single thing, whether it comes from an airplane, a ship or a cow, that doesn't actually end up on a truck before you get it. No matter where you buy it, if you buy it at the local butcher, if you buy it at the box store, it does not matter if you buy it at the farmer's market. It came on a truck somehow. Regulation has made it so it's almost impossible to be an independent truck driver. The All those songs we had in the 60s, 70s, and 80s about driving your own truck, the independence that gave you, that's over. Now you've got computers that shut you down on the side of the road if you go too long. Uh, You're working for Amazon. You're working for these major companies. You can't really do it on your own, and that's because of regulations and policies. The same thing going on with some of our shipping problems in Los Angeles, and the same thing going on with COVID and the Omicron cold, where you have to stay home and isolate for 10 days if you test positive driving a freaking cold. Uh, And then to put that on top of it, kind of the things that you've talked about, some of the decisions in Massachusetts, which have made it very difficult for that state which i'm from and by the way right now is about seven degrees it's very cold it's how cold and it is in this from freaking energy.
0: office right now <laughs> <laughs>
2: or where i am
1: that's why i'm wearing
2: flannel like, like, i got this big old farmhouse and it's very cold and it's windy and and so i'm trying to stay warm <laughs> normally i wear a jacket and tie in your show so i apologize but you're a your farmer down now great example of 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 the problems we're facing in the energy space, right? For four or five years, Massachusetts elected officials have enjoyed the privilege, and I use that word intentionally, right? The, the political left loves to talk about privilege. There is a, a, a liberal privilege to, to uh, obsess about climate change. And so liberal politicians in the Northeast have had the privilege to say, we need to get rid of fossil fuels. And Maura Healy, the attorney general, very proudly four years ago, shut down a pipeline that was supposed to bring uh, uh, natural gas from the Marcellus Shale region, uh, Pennsylvania primarily, up to Massachusetts. She said, I would rather import gas from Russia than have a pipeline to Pennsylvania. And that's what they do. They import tankers of gas. Right now, there are tankers of gas coming from the Caribbean up to uh, Massachusetts, to Boston Harbor, uh, to provide natural gas. Now, we can talk about the green consequences of that, right? Is it greener to have a pipeline from Pennsylvania than a tanker crossing the Atlantic or coming up from the Caribbean? Another conversation of just that stupidity. But but the problem of, of, of the supply... That that you are causing strains on the grid and you are putting quite literally lives at risk. And it is the privilege of Mara Healy who knows, regardless of what happens with the electric grid, she's fine, right? <laughs> Remember, uh, in the worst case scenario, this or, or the most uh, the, the most uh, emblematic example of this was about five, six years ago. No, oh, gosh, longer, nine, ten years ago, when New York had one of its worst blizzards ever, uh, and then Bloomberg was governor. Uh, was mayor, excuse me, and Bloomberg took his private jet and he went to the Caribbean. And New York was buried in snow, and he was like, not my problem, I'm in the Bahamas, right? So so the privilege of Maura Healy to say, I don't care about my liberal policies and the consequences it will have on the grid because I will never suffer the effects of it.
0: Well, and on that point, we are coming up, as I mentioned in your introduction, on that one year anniversary of the snowstorm that devastated Texas in 2021. And what's interesting about everything that you're saying is how it also kind of applied to a red state that made a lot of questionable decisions, um, policy decisions that left its, its citizens in a really difficult and really tragic situation for a long time, um, a year ago. So, Daniel, this is also happening in red states, and why is that?
2: Exactly. And this goes to show you the pervasiveness of liberal ideology and how it does begin to permeate all of our thoughts. It begins to permeate our school system, our education system, the way we speak, right? And, and, and that is the power of, of, of the political left. If you have a red state like, like Texas, who 20 some odd years ago started to believe this notion, we have to get rid of fossil fuels, Texas. We have to get rid of fossil fuels. It was Republican governors in Texas who put these renewable mandates on the electric grid. And as long as the wind was blowing and that wind was not below freezing, the the renewable mandates were, I I guess, fine. But what happens when the wind didn't blow or when it blew a, a freezing rain and all the wind turbines froze? Let me be technical. They didn't freeze. They turned them off deliberately because if you left it going with blades of ice, it shoots that ice over a half mile. It's like, yeah. that sounds amazing. <laughs> we should put they them on the border. <laughs> they turned them off deliberately in that in that time period. And what happened? 246 people died from the elements. And, and I mean this without sounding dramatic. I can't name one of them. And that's tragic. Right. Like, like they are 246 families that probably a, a year later are still mourning the loss. But there's no monument. There's no statues. Right. We don't have marches and protests. They died because of liberal policies, L- liberal policies that convinced Republican governors right. to put these mandates in place. And that's going to happen more and more.
0: As our listeners know, we are unrepentant followers of celebrity trends and celebrity news at Federalist Radio Hour, but recently I learned something new about an under-the-radar investment that some of the ultra-wealthy have been quietly funneling their money into for generations, and as you can imagine, it really piqued my interest. Famous folks are, of course, known for touting their art collections, but you no longer have to be a coastal elite to invest in one of the oldest asset classes of all time, because Masterworks is making adding art to your portfolio possible. Masterworks gives investors, just like you, access to the asset class that had low correlation to the S&P 500 over the past two decades. Masterworks even achieved a 32% and 31% net return for investors based on the sale of a Banksy and Condo piece in 2020 and 2021, respectively. Now you don't have to be a hedge fund manager to invest in multi-million-dollar paintings from iconic artists like Picasso, Warhol, and Banksy. And Masterworks has results. They've sold two paintings that netted their investors a 30% plus IRR in 2020 and 2021. Even better, our listeners get priority access to their newest offerings. Simply go to Masterworks.io/Federalist to get started. That's Masterworks.io/Federalist. Before deciding to invest, carefully review the important disclosures at masterworks.io disclaimer Can, and sorry, Chris. I'll let you jump in, but I, I have another question about that. A, a lot of people on the left who purport to be against the influence of special influence, special interests, um, and corporations and everything like that. Part of the reason, Daniel, and you can explain this and maybe debunk it better than I can, or maybe it, what I'm saying is wrong. But th- these are industries in and of themselves at this point. The, the sort of a lot of people probably remember Solyndra, um, but a lot of these companies and a lot of these investments that governments make are also Two special interests, and that has to be how Republicans um, are also easily sort of swayed by that kind of messaging and that kind of agenda. Absolutely,
2: I mean, when the, when they put these mandates on and they require the state to build hundreds of thousands of acres of of solar pa- of wind turbines, someone made a lot of money, right? Someone's mm-hmm. selling the land or leasing the land or building the wind turbines, someone made a lot of money. It's the same thing with with Biden's Build Back Better, right? Which yesterday at his press conference, he said was gonna solve inflation. Explain that to me. But if you're spending $6 trillion, someone is going to make a lot of money. So the green movement, it is a business, right? These people wanna sell wind and solar. Brian Deese, the, 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 the president's chief economic advisor, was the sustainability advisor at BlackRock. BlackRock is the largest (laughs) investor in, in wind and solar technologies. And for four years, they've convinced their entire portfolio to get off of fossil fuels and invest in wind and solar. Now their main guy is spending government money on wind and solar at the benefit of BlackRock investors. Like, let's just be honest about it. It's a business.
0: Amazing.
1: That's, I mean, I remember looking just this week at some of the businesses that, some of the really shady businesses that Nancy Pelosi's son was involved in. <laughs> and it didn't surprise me at all that three of the five were green energy companies or ones that somehow were attached to that economy. It made me realize that the Democrats just really generally are so much, like, more intelligent about corruption than the Republicans. <laughs> when you get Republicans to go down for corruption, it's like, Twenty thousand dollars for some vitamin surplus, whereas like Democrats make billions <laughs> on green energy. We'll just resolve revolve it, and it's like way more legal than what the Republicans are doing too. But it's not just these little green companies that are enlisting Pelosi's people. It seems like the Exxon mobiles the the major players in the energy industry are in on this they're putting money toward it they're using it to crowd out the smaller sources or the smaller companies the prospectors they're using it to attack other forms of energy and they're going to they're going to make money on it uh, either way it it seems like we're in a dangerous spot where who who's out there really aside from you representing the american consumer and the american worker <laughs> I, I hopefully we would get more of them, you know,
2: sooner or later, rather than later. We need more voices in this space and not fewer, but you're absolutely right. You raise a great point. That is a larger uh, cultural economic problem we're facing. And that is the collusion of big business and big government and big Business loves to use government to drown out its competitors, right? Uh, the 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 man who owns Amazon used the Washington Post to tell people that they shouldn't stop in local stores during the pandemic. We should all stay home and we should order from Amazon, and his wealth went up eighty billion dollars in the last in the last year and a half, right? Um, and so the bigger corporations, absolutely, they are on board with a lot of the climate issues because they know the smaller independent producers and the majority of our oil comes from the independent producers by the way they are not the big dogs that produce the majority of the oil in america it's the small independent companies so if chris bedford oil company can't afford biden's new green mandates what is he going to do he's going to sell and who's going to buy him one of the big dogs so you'll have bp which is not an american company Right, you'll have BP buy Chris Bedford Oil Company because
1: their mistake. But I thought they were beyond petroleum.
2: <laughs> exactly, and that just <laughs> this is what what's so pernicious about big government and big business is they use each other for their own benefit, uh, and we see it with tech, we see it with pharmaceuticals, and. Energy is no different.
0: So the BlackRock example is hilarious to me because it's one of the many companies that the left is uh, attacking. And uh, I should say the progressive left, the, the Everyone far left. i should attack BlackRock. Well, yes. And th- I was just getting to that point. But there's this really gross video that leaked over the summer of an Exxon lobbyist talking about how he's in touch with Joe Manchin's office, you know, every week and how it, it was basically like a definition of lobbying. It was a lobbyist talking about lobbying. And it was, you know, Out in the open, it sounds sort of gross and corrupt, but it's literally just how business is done here in Washington. Um, So I'm curious... Like the BlackRock example, you come in and you have a company that is like fairly evil with a sustainability division staffed by like Washington Democrats. So even some of these big corporate players that the left will attack on X, Y, and Z, they use a veneer of sort of like climate activism and sustainability to go about their business and to do uh, various bad things in all kinds of different ways.
2: Exactly. And, and an example of this, um, we did some some media about and We tried to make a bigger deal. It didn't blow up the way we wanted to. You're wonderful listeners right now. Maybe you should check this out. But, but one of the Walmart heirs, one of the Walton's grandsons, uh, was, was one of the first people to get a loan from the new Biden green agenda. He got a $500 million loan, just like Solyndra, $500 million for his company called First Solar And because, you know, the Waltons combined are worth about $250 billion. So you don't need a $500 million loan from the government, but he got one anyway. And first, solar will build uh, solar panels in India. And everyone applauds this (laughs) because (laughs) the the jobs are going to India. A billionaire is getting the money, and this is the green agenda. So you know what? As Bedford, you just said, like, they're so much smarter than we are. Kudos to this guy who's worth, in his own right, about $20 billion dollars. For getting five hundred million from the taxpayers.
1: Yeah, and kudos to India. Genius. Kudos to India and China, and these countries are that are hitting on the United States. For right now, they'll make a lot of money and employ a lot of people, selling a lot of solar panels to our country, which will make our energy more expensive, which will make our manufacturing more expensive, which means we buy more cheap crap from these third world countries to come over here. And is not third world, uh, but, but to buy more cheap crap, bring it over here on their shipping containers under universe, uh, under international flags and our ports to buy with our food stamps. That sounds like an awesome economy. It's beautiful. Love the circle green- of life.
2: If this is really about the earth, about protecting the environment, then you want these things to be made in America where we do have an EPA and we do have standards and we do have Greenpeace activists that go and knock on doors to make sure you're doing it right. What's going to be the environmental standards of the solar panel factory in India? None. That's why he's building it in India, right? What are the environmental standards of the wind turbine factories and the solar factories in China? We don't know. But yeah. I'll tell you this, Greta Thunberg is never going to go and protest there because she <laughs> knows she'll get arrested. So we just turned a blind eye to the fact that the world's biggest polluter is polluting more with American tax dollars all in the name of stopping
1: <laughs> Those carbon capture ta- tents actually look a little more like suicide nets for the workers <laughs> over there.
0: Um... <laughs> Yikes! Well, too dark. uh, (laughs) I mean, I don't know, Uh, Daniel. So the the other question that we should obviously touch on here is the the nuclear question um, because I'm curious as to how you will describe this. I mean, I know that you're going to hit on this really hard, I imagine, and I want to hear exactly how you lay the case out, but how are we supposed to take people like John Kerry seriously? Um, how are we supposed to take all of these sort of leftists seriously when they do not embrace nuclear, when they fight nuclear, and when you have John Kerry embracing China and try, making this argument explicitly that we should put China's human rights record on the back burner because of climate, to work with them on climate, which they're not really going to be worked with. Uh, but that that's, seems fairly obvious. but. How are we supposed to take any of these people seriously? Like, if you're in their mind, how are you justifying this push against nuclear while you're also taking these drastic climate steps here that will put American workers out of their jobs? And meanwhile, China and India will just keep polluting. It shows
2: you how defining the terms is key to this argument, because the fact that nuclear is not defined as green is just an absolute Mm. Right, I mean, countries like France get almost 80 percent of their electricity from nuclear power. And if the French can do it, why certainly can't America do it? Right. So they have to keep shifting what, what is what success looks like. Um, and even certain places like California, hydroelectric power is not considered green. Why? Because they want wind and solar. And the question is, why do you want just wind and solar exclusively when there are other technologies that, you know, I'm a fossil fuel advocate, but I recognize fossil fuels has its drawbacks. One of its drawbacks is it does have emissions. Nuclear has by far the fewest emissions but nuclear is not part of the formula and you're right how can we take any of these groups <clears> seriously when they keep defining and redefining uh, uh these terms to fit a much larger agenda?
1: hydro seems to fit renewable i guess i could see how it doesn't fit green because of the it does take a big toll typically on the on the riverways and on the sun that, that, is that is that the reason they push back on that
2: Probably. I don't know. You know, or because Tom Steyer is not going to make a buck off of it because he's invested <laughs> in, in wind and solar. I have no idea what their defini- definitions are. Um, but, but but the fact of the matter is neither do they. And in this process of trying to figure out all these gains, uh, you know, for good or for ill, the government is what provides us with our electricity right now they do run the electric grid you know and i wish i could have a coal plant in my backyard i would but i can't i'd rather have a you know or a small nuclear uh, plant i would but i can't um and, and we can argue whether or not the government should have this responsibility or shouldn't but the fact is they do and why they are tinkering tinkering with all these different terms and standards and this and that They are playing with people's lives. And that's what, Emily, you were just mentioning in Texas last year. And that's what's my fear is that's where we are headed uh, in in the Northeast. And you do hear politicians say, well, let's hope we don't have a cold winter. That's not policy, right? That's like medieval dark magic nonsense. (laughs) To say, like, let's hope it's not cold is not a, a good protection when you, your sole responsibility is to, is, is to provide energy for these people. So I'm worried about New England. I'm worried about America writ large, quite frankly.
0: Well, you've left us speechless, Daniel.
2: <laughs> I'm worried. I, gonna... I better things I mean... to say. I mean, it's been, a, it's been a tough year. You know, when you watched that press conference yesterday, Yeah, we were talking about Ukraine, you know, at no point, Joe Biden said, well, you know what? They're never going to have a problem with natural gas in Russia because it's 40% of Putin's economy. But you know what? He didn't tell Putin he should go to wind and solar. He said, <laughs> just keep selling natural gas to Europe. So why can't we sell natural gas to United States? Because it's not a lot of,
1: I, I truly think that so much of his agenda is just against the American worker, and they don't want it here. They want it out of here. Just like um, a lot of the people who will gladly pick up maybe meat at a grocery store uh, think it's really barbaric to go hunting. Uh, yeah they're fine getting their energy from foreign countries, but they sure don't want it to be done here, done actively, employ Americans. Uh, it's it's a strange thing. I, I can't tell if it's just the ickiness factor where they don't like it, they don't want it in their backyard, or if it's really just a, a guilt about American wealth and American creation of why shouldn't we de- be dependent on other countries? Uh, it's hard to figure out the, the, the psychology.
0: I submit to you that it's like the hubris of the technocracy, right? Like they all go to these fancy schools, they work at Deloitte, and they do this sort of like central planning um they have this philosophy that everything can sort of be like centrally planned into prosperity and it's just utterly laughable it treats human beings like little widgets and robots um but i actually think it's not it's not even this embarrassment about american wealth if anything it's just this hubris that we can central plan ourselves into uh, a better future i buy that
2: yeah, totally. And, that's, and that is where Biden is, is, is a classic example of that. People ask me all the time, what can he do to improve the energy industry? What can he do to make things better, lower prices? And the question is, there's a lot he could do, but he never will. Because as you just said, Emily, he truly believes that as the man in charge, as the president, as the head of government, he knows what's best. And his tinkering and his playing and his mandates and this, that will bring about this perfect society when the fact of the matter is the only way to make things better is to give free people the freedom to do what they will always do best, which is produce more for less, the most sustainable and economic way for the greatest number of people. We've been there before as a country, we can do it again, but it requires a belief in freedom and Biden doesn't have that belief.
1: How many more times are the American people going to believe the green jobs are around the corner promise? <laughs> I feel like that's been a campaign slogan for since I came to Washington and I'm, I'm sure before then. Uh, that it, 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 we're still waiting. We, se- we seem to still be waiting, unless if something's changed that I'm unaware of.
2: Yeah. Do you remember even at the end of the Obama administration, he had that laugh where he chuckled and said, well, maybe the shovel-ready jobs weren't as shovel-ready as I said. And all the press were <laughs> <report laughable>. laugh exactly. Shovel-ready. In that process, though, <laughs> lots of people suffered. 11,000 Keystone guys, and I've talked to a bunch of them, all lost their jobs. No one has ever... You know, gone back to them and said, "Did you get your green job as John Kerry right. promised?" Right? Two hundred and forty-six people died in Texas in storms because they quite literally froze to death. No one's gone and asked their families. No one's brought them to the White House. You know, uh, um, because that's not a politically sense a politically advantageous cause, right? So again, tinkering and playing, and people are suffering in the process, and it's just.
1: Well, I think we have our assignments.
0: I think we do. And I was just going to say my takeaway is that it's not politically advantageous because it, is, it infects both parties. It's, it's sort of a transpartisan issue at this point. Daniel Turner of Power of the Future, thank you as always for your insights. And next time we'll have to ask you for some recipes.
2: Oh, I look forward to another cooking show. We still are uh, prime ready.
0: You do. You owe prime rib, and I'm <laughs> going to make the uh, Wisconsin uh, Supper Club drinks. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you've been listening to another edition of the Federalist Radio Hour. I'm Emily Jashinsky culture editor here at the Federalist, joined today I by my colleague my Christopher Bedford, style. senior editor, also from Right Forge. We will be back There's soon with fly. more. Until then, be lovers of freedom and anxious for the fray.